So good morning again, now that you can hear me. It's, it's good to see all of you uh, here this morning. This, uh, this morning, we are continuing on in our series that we've been going through. We've been in a series these last several weeks where we've been talking about the attributes and character of God in the series that we've been calling Come and Know Me Better. And this morning, we are in the eighth week of a nine-week series. So we're in the home stretch uh, of this series where we've been delving into the attributes and character of God and hoping to know God better. Uh, next week, uh, Pastor Keith is going to come and wrap up uh, our series. This week, we're going to be spending some time talking about the grace of God, the attribute of God's grace. And as we've been working our way through this series as a preaching team, I think that we have mentioned this a couple of times, but that there, there's a book that we as a preaching team have been reading together that's been one of the resources that we've been using as part of our study uh, as we prepared the different messages. And that book is a book by Tony Evans. It's called God Himself, A Journey Through God's Attributes. Really great book. Totally encourage you to get it and read it. Um, if you've enjoyed some of the things that we've been talking about over these past several weeks, yeah, this gives you an opportunity to kind of delve a little bit more into some of the, the attributes that we've been talking about. But in reading the chapter on God's grace uh, in, in this book, uh, Tony compared the grace of God and our experience with the grace of God in our lives to kind of a, a, a pretty ridiculous scenario that I wanted to share with you as I, as I read it. Now, so imagine if after the service today, you and I uh, decided, you know, we're going to go get lunch together. And we're like, let's go get lunch. Great. Let's go. And I say, you know what? I'll drive. You can come with me. I'll drive. So we walk out to my car. We get to my car. I unlock the doors. We get in the car together. And instead of starting the engine to the car, I just sort of shift the car into neutral. And then I get out and start like pushing my car out of the, out of the parking lot out of, the, out of the, the parking space and then like get in, like turn the wheel and then I like push it to like face the right way. Now you're sitting in my passenger seat and you might be like, what is he doing? This is ridiculous. What? And you might, you might have some questions for me, I assume. You might ask something like, um, what's happening here, first of all? And like, is your car broken? Do you need me to drive? Like, did you, did you ask me to lunch just so you, I could help you push your car somewhere? What's going on? And I, my, if my response was, no, this is just, my car works fine. This is just how I like to travel. I just like to push my car. Now, I imagine at this point, you might suddenly remember, you know what? I had another lunch appointment today. Um, and uh, so I'm going to have to go. And you might be wondering, I think there's something not quite right about this person. And you know what? You'd be right. But as completely irrational and as ridiculous as that situation is, this is what many of us try to do when it comes to our Christian lives, our lives as followers of Jesus. <clears throat> we attempt to live our lives without accessing the very thing that God offers us to enable us and to empower us to live the lives that we're called to live. We don't live a life that accepts and accesses the grace of God consistently in our lives. And when we do this, we're missing the thing that empowers us and enables us. And the big idea that we're going to be talking about as we go through and discuss the grace of God this morning is this, is that the, the reality that a life lived without experiencing God's grace is hopeless and powerless. 
Just like it would be hopeless for me to push my car to some, from here to some restaurant somewhere, it is hopeless and powerless for us to live a life without experiencing God's grace. Now, but if grace is that important, then it's probably pretty important that we know what we're talking about when we talk about grace. And when we sing about it, we sang a lot of songs this morning where we sung about the grace of God. Grace is the name of our church. You know, we use, the, we use the word grace in a lot of different circles within the church community. So it's important that we understand we, what are we talking about when we're talking about grace. We use the word grace in culture and society in a lot of different ways. You know, we just came through uh, the Summer Olympics and, you know, grace is a word that we might use sometimes where we look at like a gymnast or a dancer and we think, oh, look how graceful they are in the way that they move. Or we might describe a person as graceful or that they conduct themselves with such grace in the way that they talk or act. We use the word in a lot of different ways. And when we, when, it, when we do that, a word can kind of start to, become, start to lose its meaning a little bit. And it might be a little bit less clear. Like, what are we talking about then when we're talking about the grace of God? <clears throat> and when we're talking about the grace of God, we're basically talking about God's inexhaustible goodness. As it, as it is expressed in our lives. Now, if you were with us last week, uh, or, um, or maybe you listened online uh, last week, Pastor Dave spoke to us about another one of God's attributes, God's goodness. If you haven't heard that message, I encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's on our website or on Facebook. But he spoke about God's goodness and that the reality that God is good all the time. So when we speak about God's grace, we're talking about God expressing that goodness in the world and in our lives. So then that leads us to kind of the next question. So if an, if an expression of goodness is grace, is that true every time someone does something good for someone else? Is it grace if I, if I do something good? So if I do good work for my employer, am I showing them grace? If my employer gives me a bonus because I've done good work, is that them showing me grace? And the answer to that question is no, that's not. That's not grace. Because in both of those examples, there is a very key element missing that defines the grace of God and how God expresses grace in our lives. There's a Greek word that's used in scripture in reference to expressions of God's goodness, and that word is charizomai. And here's just a few examples of this word as it's as it, uh, is used in various passages of scripture. Romans 8.32, we see it there where it says, or Paul writes, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give charizomai all things? 1 Corinthians 2.12, we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given charizomai to us. Colossians 3.13, bear with each other and forgive, charizomai, whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave, charizomai, you. In Greek culture, this word referred to a superior showing favor to one that is inferior. Kind of like the idea of a king showing favor to a peasant. So when we're talking about the grace of God, we're not merely just talking about any expression of goodness. We're talking about God expressing to us what we call unmerited favor. Favor, goodness that I do not deserve in my life. 
So it's God's inexhaustible supply of goodness whereby he does for me what I cannot do for myself. Now, you might hear this and think, okay, that's great. You know, I like God. I like him doing good things in my life and the world. So what's the rest of this message going to be about? I mean, is there a problem here that we need to talk about? Who has a problem with this? And there is a little bit of a problem. And the problem is that we as human beings are prone to miss the grace of God. As I mentioned earlier, we're prone to live a life that doesn't access the grace of God. And this happens for a variety of reasons. And the first reason we miss it is because oftentimes we as humans believe we don't need it. We don't need the grace of God. You might recognize this picture that's up there on the screen right now. I'm sure everyone is at least somewhat familiar with the story of the Titanic. This is a picture of the Titanic. And the Titanic was, whoa, am I right now? I just got really loud. Can we turn me down a little bit? Thank you. Is that better? Good? All right. So the Titanic was billed as an unsinkable ship. And of course, if you know the story of the Titanic, tragically and ironically, it sank. On its maiden voyage, it sank. Now, if you know the story of the Titanic, you may know that there was a key mistake that was made in the Titanic that made the sinking of this ship monumentally more tragic than it otherwise would have been in terms of the loss of life. Because the builders, because the builders of the Titanic didn't think that the ship could sink, they didn't have nearly enough lifeboats on the ship. In fact, the number of lifeboats they had, if the, bo- if the boat had been filled to its full capacity, the number of lifeboats they had on the t- Titanic would only fit a third of the number of people that the Titanic could fit. At the time of its maiden voyage, if every lifeboat was filled to its ultimate capacity, then they would have only have been able to fit 53% of the people that were on board the ship at the time of the Titanic. So certainly, failing to see their need for this life-saving tool led to a monumental loss of life and, uh, on the Titanic. Now, certainly the story of the Titanic illustrates for us the cost of not seeing our need in terms of the tragic loss of life. But there's also another Titanic story that I want to talk a little bit about that I think even more, maybe more aptly illustrates the idea that we're trying to get at this morning. Many of you remember, uh, if you're my age or older, you remember back in 1997, there was a movie about Titanic that came out starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. And those of you that are familiar with this movie may know what the most debated about scene uh, in this movie is. And this is a picture of it here. This is Rose and Jack. And then this scene, if you've seen the movie, the Titanic has sunk at this point. Rose and Jack have survived the sinking and they're now floating in the water, right? And Rose is floating on top of this like door that they found from uh, floating in the water from the Titanic. And Jack's like clinging to the side of the door, just kind of treading water uh, in the freezing water. And, you know, if you haven't seen the movie, I'm about to spoil it for you, but it's 24 years old. So um, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry. You can block your ears or something like that, but Jack doesn't make it. Right? So Jack dies in the freezing water and Rose is able to hang on until she gets rescued by a lifeboat. And we all know the question. The question that's been debated for decades since this movie has come out is, Jack, why didn't you get on the door with Rose? Why are you still in the water? And you know, people say like there wasn't room on the boat, but I mean, come on, have a look at this. This is the view from the top. I mean, there's plenty of room uh, for Jack next to, next to him. Like, Rose, can you just like scoot over just a little bit? 
and like make some room for Jack. And just to kind of give you that, like that's how, you know, Rose's height there. And there's plenty of room there for Jack. He could just like, he could just, you know, squeeze in there. There's plenty of room. I mean, it wouldn't have been comfortable, but it certainly would have been better than freezing to death. So you're like, Jack, just get on the door. Use the door that's there. So, uh, but how many of us, let me bring this back to somewhat, somewhat serious place. How many of us are like Jack in our lives? We're treading water. We're clinging to just whatever happens to be floating by that seems to offer us refuge. And we're thinking, I'm fine. This is fine. You know, I'm a little cold, but it's, it's all right. I, I'm, I'm going to power through. When there's God who isn't on just some door, like on a ship saying, come, come to me. I have safety. I have, it's warm in here. I have good things for you. But we say, no, you know, we're fine. I don't, I don't need it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to just power through. We fail to recognize our need in the moment. And therefore, we miss out on the amazing goodness that God is offering us. And when we do this, we're like the Pharisee in Luke 18, where, where he responds. You remember the, the, the parable of, of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, and they both approach God, and they both have different responses to God. And this is the Pharisee's words where he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. The Pharisee doesn't recognize the need for the grace of God. We oftentimes don't recognize our need for the grace of God. We think, I'm okay. You know, I'm competent. I'm responsible. I've organized my life in such a way where I've got things pretty well worked out. God, I'll let you know if I need you but I've pretty much got things handled under control. I've got my calendar. I've got my schedule. I've got things worked out. I'm a good parent. I'm a good employee. You know, I do, I, I'm pretty, pretty well good on my own, God, but I'll let you know if I need you. Now, we don't say those things out loud, but that's kind of like how we might be living our lives or the, the thought process that we might have. We may even go as far as to feel like we're deserving of the good things that God gives us in our lives. We might feel like we're owed good things in our lives. A key thing that I need to continually remind myself of is that God is not obligated to me for anything. There is nothing that I have in my life that I deserve from him. Think about this down to its most basic level of existence, right? What did I do to earn gravity? That's something I rely on pretty consistently in my life. I don't think about it very much, but if it were to suddenly be gone, I'd probably think about it quite a bit. I did nothing. What did I do to earn the sun, right? Or oxygen or water or livable temperatures? Nothing. God doesn't owe these things to me. God doesn't owe these things to us. He doesn't owe me happiness. He doesn't owe me fulfillment. He doesn't owe me my family. Every good thing I have, beginning with my very existence and moving onward to my relationship with him, every other good part of my life, I owe to his grace, his undeserved favor in my life. Have a look at how the, the book of Revelation describes this in, in Revelation 21, verse 6. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. <clears throat> To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost, without cost, from the spring of the water of life. 
And then 22.17, oops, let me go back. 22.17 says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. Everything we have, we have because God in his goodness chose to give it freely, without cost. If we wake up tomorrow, it's because, it's because God in his grace decided to sustain us. We don't see our need, but the reality is we desperately need the grace of God daily in our lives. And it's only through his mercy that we can begin to access his grace. We're going to talk about that in a little, a little bit later on. We miss God's grace because we think we, we don't need it. But we also miss it because we think, we think we don't deserve it. Now, you might hear that and think, be a little confused based on what we've been talking about for the last, like, seven or eight minutes. You know, you're like, Eric, didn't you just say, like, we, God doesn't owe us anything? You just spent the last few minutes explaining that we don't, in fact, deserve his grace. Yes, I did. And here's why this is tricky. Because it's true. We do not deserve his grace. But the fact that we don't deserve God's grace can impact us in really kind of one of two general ways, right? So the first is, the first, the fact that we don't deserve it can cause us to be overwhelmed with gratitude and excitedly accept and, and access the grace of God. That's one way that we can respond to this reality that we don't deserve the grace of God. But the other way, the fact that we don't deserve grace can cause us to be overwhelmed with shame. So much so to the point where we turn away from the grace of God and refuse to accept the grace of God in our lives. Let's have a look back at the parable I mentioned earlier of Jesus, the tax collector and the Pharisee. We read the Pharisee's words. Let's have a look at the tax collector's words where he says these words. This tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. In the tax collector, we see a man who understands that he does not deserve the grace of God. That only by his, God's mercy can he access his grace. But he asks for it anyway. He does not let that idea dissuade him from asking for it. Because he doesn't see his undeserved status as a reason not to accept what God has graciously offered. And because of this, he goes home justified. We miss grace. We miss it because we think we don't need it. We miss it because of the reality that we don't deserve it and how that impacts us. But lastly, we also miss grace because it's just not how the world works. Right? I don't know about you. But I wouldn't describe the world as an overly gracious place. Not that there aren't examples of people offering undeserved goodness to others, but by and large, those situations are the exceptions rather than the rule. Situations like this. You've likely heard about paying it forward, but what about paying it backwards? You reach the drive through window to discover that the person in front of you has already paid for your meal. It's a trend that is spreading across the country. Local 2's Jennifer Bauer joins us live with an amazing streak she's heard about here in Houston. Jen? 
You know, the manager of this Chick-fil-A says it happens more often than you might think. On a typical Saturday, he says it'll happen two or three times. But recently, it kept happening again and again and again, 67 times in a row. Gabby, how many are today? It's a trend taking off around the country. People paying it backward at the drive through window. When you pull up to pay, you quickly discover the car in front of you already took care of your bill. It was the buzz around the restaurant. I don't know, but, um, you know, oftentimes I'll see stories like this and, and posted with comments like, see, people are good. Or, see, this is restoring my faith in humanity or things like that. And, you know, I love these stories. They're great. They're encouraging. It's great to see people acting this way. So I don't want to, like, get down on a story like this. It's great. I love to see it. But, you know, there's a reason why this is on the news, right? You know, routine things don't tend to end up on the news, right? That's why you never see headlines like, plane lands successfully at airport, right? Or you don't see, like, man's, you know, uh, uh, appropriately puts out campfire. And, you know, and no forest fire, you know, happens. You know, you don't see headlines. Like, you see headlines when exceptions to normal life happen, right? And these things like this are the exception. The news is for rare things. Grace is not generally how the world operates. So we as humans have a hard time operating by grace, and we have a hard time accepting grace when it's offered, even when grace is offered to us from God. And this struggle isn't a new struggle. We see it all the way back to Jesus and his, and his disciples. You know, we back when we see Peter respond this way to Jesus, when Jesus is, you know, right before, uh, not long before he's about to go to his death in, in, in the, the room of the disciples, he takes off his outer garment and, and seeks to serve the disciples by washing their feet. And he comes to Peter and, and he's doing this to set this example for them as an act of service and unmerited goodness. And he comes to Simon, he comes to Simon Peter and this is how Peter responds. Came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. I mean, Peter's thinking here, like, this isn't what's supposed to be happening. This isn't how the world works. This isn't, you know, you're not the one that's supposed to be serving me. And you know what? He's right. This is not how the world works. This is not how their society was set up. It shouldn't, it, it didn't happen that way. But this is just one, and it's, the, it's true of our world too, that our world doesn't work this way. But this is just one of the many ways that we as followers of Jesus are called to operate in a way that is contrary to our world and contrary to our culture. To accept grace and to give grace. So we've seen the many reasons that we tend to miss out on grace in our lives and end up living powerless lives, lives without engines. Which leaves us with then with the question, like, what does it look like to access grace? What does it look like to run on grace? And first and foremost, we need to be saved by grace. We cannot begin to experience the grace of God in a significant way in our lives until we accept the ultimate act of his grace through what Jesus did for us through his de- in his death and resurrection. We established earlier on, we were talking, we said, we understand that we do not deserve God's grace. We do not deserve 
good things from God. But it's not just that we don't deserve God's goodness. We actually deserve God's wrath. We deserve God's judgment. As we are all sinners. We are sinners by our own actions. We are sinners by our birth into the human race. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, we're going to have a look at verses 12 and 17 of this chapter, where Paul writes, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. And down to verse 17, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteous of righteousness in life sorry and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ and then earlier on in this chapter in verse 6 we see Paul write these words you see at just the right time when we were still powerless Christ died for the ungodly we deserved God's judgment we are offered God's goodness because Jesus took God's judgment on himself in our place. We are offered mercy because of God's grace. If you're here today and you've never accepted this free gift of God, the free gift that God offers to everyone, I would encourage you to do this. It's not complicated. There's no initiation. There's no cost. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's simply telling Jesus, Jesus, you are, I want you to be Lord of my life. I believe in what you've done, what you did on the cross for me in your resurrection. Please forgive me, asking for, asking for the grace of God. And then grace is yours, and mercy is yours, and forgiveness is yours, and your life with Jesus begins. It begins. And that is just the beginning. The beginning of our experience with the grace of God. Because after we are saved by grace, we are also then sustained by grace. Oftentimes, after we know Jesus, we can fall into the trap of thinking, all right, God, thanks for saving me. I'll take it from here. You know, I'm just going to power through now. I've got it. You know, you, you took care of all my sin. Now I'm going to move the ball forward. It fall, it's, we feel like it's up to me to arrange my life in the way that it should go and to figure out how, I'm gonna, how am I going to provide for my needs? How am I going to work this thing out? Using, you know, continuing to use our engine analogy, it's kind of like if I started the car but then still got out to push. A little over five years ago, I had been working for the same agency for almost 15 years. And, you know, at that time in my life, I was feeling pretty safe, pretty safe, pretty secure. Uh, I was feeling pretty successful. The program that I was running was doing really well. I was consistently invited to come out and present and train and throughout a variety of different communities where we serve. I felt like I had my life set up pretty well. Until one day, you know, the funders who paid for our program decided, you know, they want to do things a little bit different, reorganize some things. And all of a sudden, this position that I'd felt like really safe in, really secure in, was not going to exist anymore, at least in the form uh, that it had existed. And all of a sudden, this place that I had arranged for myself was just not going to be there. 
And I didn't know what I was going to do. And, and as you can imagine, kind of the weeks leading up to like the official end of that time were pretty stressful, among the most stressful weeks of my life. And I go into task mode, and I'm thinking, all right, I got to work this out. I got to figure out you know, where I'm going to be, what's this new position, what's my new place going to be. I need to figure out how to solve this problem. But there came a time in this process where, as I continually spent time you know, praying for the situation, that God started to bring a continual reminder into my mind. And I think I might have talked about this before. So if you've heard this before, sorry, you get to hear it again. Um, this reminder that was that I was not in control. And that one line kind of became a constant prayer to God throughout this entire time. When I would begin to feel stressed out and I would begin to feel overwhelmed, which happened quite a bit, I would just, my prayer life would just be repeating over and over again to God, a commitment, God, I am not in control. I am not in control. Now, this didn't mean I just stopped doing things and I didn't get out of bed, but I read to recognize that God wanted to show me his grace in this process. And I had to let him show me his grace and turn this situation over to him for his plans. The, the lesson that sort of was driven home to me then, and the thing I need to continually remind myself of, is that God doesn't just save us and then turn over the responsibility to us to just kind of figure things out. He continues to shower his goodness on us. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 8, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. In all things, at all times, you will have everything you need to do the work that God is calling you to do. But whether or not we experience this is dependent upon whether or not we look for it and whether or not we decide to grow in the grace and grow in our relationship with Jesus, as Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. As we commit to the behaviors and the habits that allow us to grow in our relationship with Jesus, we experience more and more of the grace of God that sustains us in every good work that God has for us. We're saved by grace in the work of Jesus. We are sustained by grace in this life, but our experience with grace is not limited to our lives here in this world as we are also secured by grace. Because of the grace of God, not only do we get to experience the goodness of God in our lives on earth, but we get to experience the fullness of the perfect goodness of God forever into eternity. Eternity is something that's always just mind-bending, mind-boggling to me. If you ever spend some time thinking about the concept of something that is just never going to end, like you're there for, you're experiencing it for like a thousand years and you still have forever to go. <laughs> like, that's pretty crazy. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 2. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
Because of the grace of God, our ultimate future is secure forever. And again, we see here in this passage, we have this promise, not because we earned it, but because God gave it freely. And part of the very reason it is so secure is because we didn't earn it, right? Because if, I, if it were up to me to earn it, what's it also up to me to do? Keep it and not lose it. But because I did nothing to earn it, I have to do nothing to keep it. It's mine because, it's, because God did it. It's based on God and his love, the love and grace that he desires to show us. He desires to show us unmerited favor in our lives. And because of this, we have been saved by grace and our future is secure if we know Jesus. So the question I just want to, as we kind of start to wrap this thing up, is this, where are you right now in your experience of God's grace in your life? Are you pushing the car instead of getting in and letting the engine do the, engine do the work? Are you letting God's grace save and sustain you? Are you treading water, sort of clinging to whatever happens to float by that might look like it might offer you some refuge? Friends, God offers you his grace and we desperately need it. If you don't know Jesus, God desires to save you by his grace. Don't wait don't fall into that trap like, let me, just get my, let me just get my life cleaned up. Let me just get this situation under control. And then I'll be, God wants to save you now by his grace. If you know Jesus, but you've taken over the responsibility of pushing your car forward, setting your life up the way you think, God wants to sustain you with his grace. Will you let him do that? Will you seek to reconnect and grow in your experience and knowledge of his grace and let him give you all that you need for every good work that he's calling you to? For all of us, are we confident in the future that God secures for us with his grace? A future where we get to experience the fullness of God's goodness for all eternity. Let's stop pushing, let's stop treading. Let's let God, with his grace, do the work. Would you pray with me? Father, we're just so thankful for your grace. God, we, are, we were in a hopeless state. And you did not owe us. You did not need us. But you sent Jesus to express your goodness to us, to save us from your wrath that we so rightfully deserved to bring us back into right relationship with you, but not just that, but to continue to sustain us and to give us a promise of an eternal future with you. Father, I pray that we would experience the fullness of this amazing grace that you offer to us. And thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.